Fundraising everywhere. 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 You need to add me in there. Hello lovely listener, this is Nikki Bell and I'm one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere and we are going to get to the podcast content in just a moment. But before we get there, I just want to share a bit of feedback with you that I'd recently received about the impact of Fundraising Everywhere. It's from three people who are part of our membership community. One of them who describes themselves as a proudly neurodiverse individual had said that Fundraising Everywhere had finally given them a way to be able to learn because of the content that was online and how accessible it was. We had a fundraiser who said that being part of the community had reminded her that there were people in the sector that were trying to do things in a better way and that made her feel more in love with her job than ever, made her feel like she wanted to stay in the sector and that she felt supported and connected. And then finally, from a member who's been part of the community for a very long time, they said that the fundraising everywhere has brought them so much. It's made them feel less isolated. They've gained skills, knowledge and confidence from the events that they've attended. Isn't that just wonderful? More fundraisers should feel like that. And that's exactly what Fundraising Everywhere want to do this year. We want to reach more fundraisers with the platform, with the content and the support that we provide. And that's why I'd love to invite you to be part of our community by becoming a member. Our members get instant access to all of the content we host on the platform. You never have to register for anything again. We will send you the invite to your calendar and you can come along if you're free. And if you can't, you can watch everything on demand, which many of our members do. And you get instant access to all content that we've hosted on our platform since 2019. You'll also be invited to in-person meetups, which we'll be hosting around the UK and Ireland in 2024 and beyond. And we even have one-on-one coaching, which is totally private. You pick your coach, you tell us what the problem is, and then you go away and you have those conversations. You can join our membership by going to fundraisingeverywhere.com forward slash join dash us. We would absolutely love to have you as part of that community. Every member that joins us means more amazing things get put back out, which means more amazing things for you. Thank you so much to everybody who's part of the Fundraising Everywhere community already. And we look forward to seeing more of you at our events and in person in 2024. Great. Hello, everyone. I'm Nori Knight. I'm the growth marketing executive at Fundraising Everywhere. And today I've got a special guest with me, uh, Jeff Boachi. And Jeff, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Nori. Yeah, I'm Jeff. Um, I am currently the head of digital marketing at Guys and St. Thomas's Foundation, um, where I'm responsible for the rolling out digital maturity across all the three brands. So um, I'm responsible for three charity brands, which are Guys and St. Thomas's um, charity, um, Evelina Children's Charity, and Guys Cancer Charity that um, are aligned to the respective hospitals. And yeah, so in addition to the digital maturity, I'm also responsible for just using digital for fundraising. And um, yeah, I'm building a new team. And yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting time. Um, I have a lot of personal ties to the organisation because you can't tell by my dialect, I'm a South London boy. So mm-hmm. I've got a lot of love for South London. Um, born, raised. My daughter was born in Guy's Hospital. My wife was born in Guy's Hospital. I've lost loved ones at Guy's Hospital. 
So yeah, it's more than just a step on um, my career ladder. It actually really, really um, means a lot to me. So yeah, um, it's for me, it sounds corny, but for me, it's like, <laughs> like my dream job, you know? Oh no, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I'm glad that you're working there. Uh, can you tell us, like, how did everything lead to to where you are now? Tell us, tell yeah. us where you started. Sure. So I, um, in this regard, I'm probably not special, but I didn't start in the charity sector. <clears throat> I actually started in the corporate world. So I used to work for um, an auditor, one of the big four, called um, Ernst and Young or EY, and I was there for few years and I think that's that's where I got my game from <laughs> to put it another way that's where I got my game from I learned um fundamentals around digital marketing back when before digital marketing was like a buzz term so I, I did email marketing there um, and I did a lot of marketing around intangible products because we were selling our expertise and our expertise is naturally intangible. We had things to support it, like thought leadership and stuff. But that's where I really learned, in addition to digital marketing, where I learned to sell intangible products, um, which served me very well when I left EY and I came into the charity world, because naturally we we sell hope. Um, hope is intangible. We try to make it tangible by techniques. But yeah, that's that's where I got my game from, like I said. And since I joined the charity sector, I've I've been around. I've, I've been about. I started with YMCA England, um, did a stint at MS Society, um, RNIB, Save the Children, With Kids, Providence Row, Bassie Dogs and Cats Home, The Ramblers. This isn't in the correct order, by the way. I'm just running. I'm just <laughs> running through. I'm just running through. Um, I think my most notable role was um, when I chose to be be a go into consultancy. So I set myself up as a as a sole trading consultant, and that was really, if I'm honest, that was a start of when I went into digital. Because prior to that, most of my experience was in retention. You know, like direct mail, that sort of stuff, um, and email was part of that. But it wasn't digital was my primary focus because retention it wasn't at the time. So yeah, I set myself post um, post my time at Medicine Sans Frontiers. I set myself up as a sole trader. I literally did training. I invested in myself. So I literally threw money at the problem. I trained myself up so I could build up my acumen. And then once I did, like I said, I just went off on my own. I set up as a sole trader, and then I kind of went back and forth between the sector. So I um, worked with some real estate people. Um, randomly, I worked, this is very random, very random, but hopefully good footage, is one of my clients was um, an organization called The Real Jerk. And The Real Jerk are a Canadian organization, but they have a branch in England. That's the one I worked with. But the reason it's random is because <laughs> the Drake and Rihanna song work. Yeah. They, shot, they shot it at The Real Jerk in Toronto. That's amazing. <laughs> so that's wild. But once I figured that out, that became a big part of our communication strategy. But anyway, uh, so yeah, um, when I was freelancing, my biggest charity client was Compassion in Ward Farming. And I made a lot of friends there. Um, but that was really, I guess, my big break in terms of um, digital consulting in the third sector. Then after that, I, I joined Shelter. And I think Shelter was a really... Um, a real pivotal role. I loved my time at Shelter. Um, it was 
one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, I still talk to a lot of people there, but if I say I got my game from EY, I really refined my game at Shelter. Um, Shelter was really great. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with really big budgets and I was fortunate enough to win quite win some awards, quite a few awards off the back of the digital work I did there. Um, a campaign called The Drive, which was the first time we um, actually, we went, we led back into TV, but not in the traditional DRTV way, something called AdSmart, which is basically programmatic TV. I'd say we were one of the first, not what we weren't the first, but we were definitely one of the more notable charities to lean into it. And yeah, the, the results speak for themselves. And I've just been an advocate for programmatic TV and AdSmart ever since. So another string to my bowl is, sorry, I just, sounds like I'm selling myself. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but another string to my bowl off the back of that was um, I started doing public speaking. So I did a lot of public speaking around new ad tech. Um, and this new ad tech would basically help the charity sector close the gap between them and the corporate world. Because the thing about new ad tech is that it's inexpensive. There's a big uh, stigma that digital needs to be pricey. It needs to be this. It's not accessible. It's this. I, that's no. That's not true. And through new ad tech, such as programmatic TV, we can close the gap. And in my current role at Guys, um, we did that this Christmas. And results, I mean, they, they're crazy. Like, we've seen 80% increase in donations over the Christmas period, which is equated to a, like a 50 to 55% increase in income because we've been able to reach people in places we wouldn't have historically if we didn't lean into this new ad tech. So, yeah, I'm very passionate about that, as you can tell. So public speaking around it was a good fit for me. And on that note, that's where fundraising everywhere. That's where you guys really, really, really came into the mix there. And I've said this before, shout out to Nikki. I say this all the time. Uh, I'm a huge, huge advocate for this organization, um, for what you do, what you stand for, what you've achieved. You've helped me achieve my, my, my dreams, really. When I decided to go into the digital landscape and really focus, my end goal was where I'm at now. And I couldn't have done that without you guys. And public speaking was a big vessel for me to get there. So um, I've kind of spoken around the houses, but that's basically how I got to where I got to now. Um, yeah. Oh, I should say, sorry. I should say that um, I also went, um, prior to joining guys, I, I went back agency side. So I worked for another agent. I worked for an agency called Torchbox and I was there for a little while, but then I came back to client side. And like I said, the stream opportunity came up. I'm a South London boy being able to de de devote my skills to, you know, benef to beneficiaries that look like me, share the same stories as me, even if they don't look like me, but culturally are aligned. How could I say no? So I'm just grateful. And once again, fundraising everywhere really helps me get there. So I'm at your disposal, guys. <laughs> no, that's amazing. It's amazing hearing your journey. And, you know, first of all, thank you for the kind words about fundraising everywhere. We do really try to be, you know, uh, like a lighthouse in the sector, trying to trying to be a resource and and hearing your story and hearing how we're able to help you, that just means we're doing a good job. We're on the right path. But um, hearing your journey and hearing how each of these places that you've worked at in the sector and outside of the sector have contributed to all the skills you have now, you know, 
That's, that's quite amazing. I, I know your journey isn't typical to um, a lot of people in the sector and a lot of people also have like, you know, squiggly careers and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, how, what would you say um, are, are some of the attributes? Um, you mentioned public speaking, but what, yeah. what else would you say really contributed to how you feel now? Because you seem very, you know, happy and content with, with where you are now. You feel very, I guess, self-assured in your skills as well and and a lot of people sometimes you know myself included feel a bit like oh we're we're not quite there yet or you know maybe at the next step or at the next rung of the ladder feel like we've reached it but you know what attributes do you feel like kind of helped you get there um i would say um the key attributes were um I know this is, I'd, I'd say, I'd say self-belief, but I'd say more specifically being enterprising. And when I say enterprising, I mean, uh, self-belief is part of that, but I mean more specifically viewing yourself as, as a brand or a product. I think when I started, when I made that shift, um, it became a lot easier, not easier, but navigating this space it made a lot more sense. So I'd say take having a more enterprising approach to how you view yourself, your brand, invest in yourself, invest in yourself, invest in your brand, see yourself as a brand. You are, and every step you take, every interaction you make is an opportunity to further your brand or to strengthen your brand, I should say. Even in even in um, the wake of the failures, it's an opportunity to, to strengthen your brand. So um, being enterprising is definitely um, a one key characteristic I would recommend. Um, but there are nuances. Once again, enterprising and self-belief, they, they're not mutually exclusive, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Being enterprising, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's like, a, like I say, seeing yourself as a brand. Um, in addition to that, I'd probably say um, just being patient <laughs> just, just be patient just be patient with yourself um linkedin one thing about linkedin i've noticed now it's funny because all social media it all funnels into the same sort of trajectory and even though linkedin is a professional space it's kind of funneled into what i'm about to get into that there are a lot of people talking about what they've got <laughs> there are a lot of people talking about you know there's just a lot of that what they've got so it's easy for that to give you a jaded impression of where you are on your journey, uh, the only person you're competing with is yourself. So just be patient. And I can't stress patience enough. So when you get a new opportunity, don't over-egg the pudding. Don't overdo it. Just be methodical in how you approach challenges. Um, and part of being patient is being help, being able to prioritize problems. Um, it's very easy to get swamped. We cannot appreciate that. But I think one thing that really helped me, and it ties into patience, is putting my problems in a single file. <laughs> Quite literally, one problem at a time. And please believe, when I put them in single file, I have tunnel vision. I can't see past what's in front of me. You know, it's just literally what's in front of me now. I don't care about what's behind what's in front of me. What's behind that? I don't care. Like once I kind of took that approach, it helps me once again navigate the space a lot better and by the space I mean the working realm um so yeah that's a long way of saying be patient but be strategic with your patience and I'd say 
the final thing in terms of attributes is probably just be really, I, I guess it's about relationship building and communication. Just be, always be open to have conversations with people because I, I go and going back to LinkedIn, digital, the world is small. It's a lot smaller than it's ever been. So you have to be ready to have conversations with people and, you know, humble yourself so that you're, you're able to absorb from people that know more than you. And um, I think that it's going to sound really corny, but there are a lot of good people out there. There are a lot. There are a lot of people who just want to help. If they see you're putting in the work, they see you've got the passion, they want to help you. People generally want to see people win. I believe that. So once you have that approach, in addition to the other attributes I mentioned, it will give, it should give you the, 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 the courage to kind of go past your, your anxiety and just speak with people, reach out to people. We, have the, we live in the magic of the digital age. We have the tools to do so. So lean into that and use that to strengthen your communication skills and relation build, relationship building skills. Um, I'd say those are the key things. There are probably a hell of a lot more, but we've only got limited time. But those are probably the key attributes. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And and from everything you've said, it definitely seems like it's more so like a shift with your mentality, kind of shifting how you see things, how you perceive things, the way you carry yourself, you know, absolutely being kind, giving yourself grace. But also, um, I think it's definitely relevant where when we're in our work mode and we're working and we're, you know, trying to reach a target, reach a goal, sell a product, whatever it may be, it's it's pretty easy to look at it objectively. But then when we look at ourselves, we're we're like super critical or super pessimistic or whatever have you. So, you know, seeing seeing yourself as a product, even though it does sound weird, that, that totally <laughs> makes sense to me. That totally makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, for real, yeah. Like, see yourself as a brand. Um, mm -hmm. I think products can be a bit limiting because it's like, I remember there was, a, I'm, I'm going to butcher this story, so apologies to anyone that listens and knows the correct story. <laughs> but I remember um, hearing that some, basically, if somebody was approached and asked if they had the choice between uh, having Coke, the Coca-Cola, as the actual ingredients to, to Coca-Cola or the brand of Coca-Cola, they choose the brand every time because... The products can be tweaked, but the brand is where the real power is. So seeing yourself as a brand, as opposed to just a product, it, it creates um, adaptability. It allows you to be malleable. So, um, yeah. Oh, I love that. No, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm glad it makes sense. I'm glad. Because, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, that, that is the thing that as we go through our career, we go through changes and, and our different focuses and our different priorities, you know as we get older, as our, our families change, our careers change, but, you know, staying, staying true to your brand and trying to build that reputation with the, the networks that you have. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, how do you feel about if we talk about the sector for a bit? Sure. Um, the charity sector. So as you mentioned, uh, you originally were, you know, from the private sector, then you, you worked in, you worked out, but what do you feel like the sector is doing well? What, what do you think we're doing well right now? I would say for, for 2023 and, and, and onwards into 2024. I'd say one thing that I've, one good thing I've noticed going back to enterprising is 
a lot of um, charities that I've had the pleasure of either working with or speaking to as a result of my public speaking is they're starting to um, approach problem solving more, with more business acumen, approaching problems as a business. And I, that doesn't mean be cold um, be, and, you know, but it means it does mean being calculated and it does mean, um, like I say, shifting how you approach problems, being more comfortable around conversations such as acceptable loss, for instance, what acceptable loss looks like. Um, and um, just making sure that <clears throat> numbers and targets have a lot more rationale behind them and a lot of due diligence is done as opposed to things just being pulled out thin air and most importantly keeping things as objective as possible from a decision making perspective I think that's one thing that I've noticed that a lot of charities are getting better at especially since I've been the charity game for a long time now I've noticed a lot of decision making has shifted from it's we're not perfect but a lot of it has shifted from the subjective I feel this I think that we we do this they do that like as a, it's shifted from subjective decision making to creating processes and governance that allows objective decision making i'd say that's one area that i think the sector is starting to get better at um and i think we need to continue to lean into that because um that will enable a wider breadth of thought and um we just won't pigeonhole ourselves as much because ultimately, and I say this respectfully, my our opinions don't matter as much as we think they do when we're talking about mass marketing. I mean, they, they don't. Experience is important because it lends itself to informed hunches and intuitions, but it's not the be all and end all. And I think as a, as a sector, we're getting better at understanding that and building the tools and the governance to support objective decision-making, I'd say. Yeah, no, that sounds absolutely right. I'm glad we're kind of making that shift too, because mm-hmm. I think the charity sector, you know, given our missions, uh, we're, we're really tied to the, you know, empathetic nature of, trying to, you know, increase our impact, help, help the people or the, you know, the audiences that we're trying to help. But in a way we limit our impact because we're not prioritizing um, effectiveness. And sometimes that means, like you said, being objective, looking at things objectively. So for sure, for sure. I don't know if you've heard the saying, um, I live and die by this and the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Um, that's that is so accurate. Good intentions are they, they're a good starting point, but they are not enough to facilitate long term change. Hmm. Couldn't agree more. Um, okay, so not to be negative, but on the flip side, what do you think uh, needs improvement in the sector? Uh, it's funny because uh, I'd say tying into that point around not being too subjective is. Um, when it comes to having more of a, or less of a status quo, when it comes to the sort of people that the the, the sector inhabits, the sort of people that we keep seeing, you know, I think that's an area we need to get better at as a sector. Um, I think a lot of what I'm talking about, admittedly, are just um, byproducts of a lot of historical decision-making 
but they're still there. And we just need more diversity in the sector at all levels. Um, this is a biggie. And I think um, <clears throat> one thing I used to say, and I've, I've got a lot of colleagues, um, black colleagues, um, generally non-white colleagues in the sector that have said similar, that in the sector, it has felt for a long time that, um, I'm sure you've heard the term glass ceiling. I, I wouldn't even <laughs> classify what a lot of like non-white people in the sector have as a glass ceiling because you can see through glass, you can see what's next. I'd I'd categorize it as an iron sky. You can't even it's that it's that opaque. You can't even see past it. So for the longest time there has been a feeling of an iron sky for a lot of people that don't once again fit that status quo I was talking about. And that status quo is generally created by you know feelings of familiarity what makes you feel comfortable we've it's you know this person shares the same way of thinking i do they look like me we come we've we come from the same place we've gone through the same journeys like that's how you that's how you end up where we are as a sector um and that's not to say i'm i'm anti-nepotism i'm not i think nepotism is great when it works but it if you lean too much into it it can be a blocker for diversity and i think we as a sector, we need to get a lot better at that. Saying that, I will say, um, not to big up guys too much, but I'm very impressed with what I've seen at Guys and St. Thomas's Foundation because, like I said, I've worked around, I've been around in the sector for a long time, and this is probably one of two, if not, actually, it might be the only one, organisation where I've seen such variety at at an SLT senior leadership level and above, I've this is a breath. It's a breath of fresh air. It's refreshing. There's no tokenism because positive discrimination is also a thing. Um, it's yeah, just it's, yeah, it's great and it's, it's so refreshing to see. Like myself, obviously, I'm head of I'm SLT, but I've, that we have a we have a di- we have directors, we have executive directors. It's it's so varied, and I've never seen this before, and it's so refreshing. And that is what I that's what I want because ultimately, what that means for guys is we have a senior leadership level, and we we just have a general, um, uh, how can I put this? A general uh, staff that represents the environments and communities that we serve, and that's the ironic thing because until we have that, we are not reflecting the communities we serve in the sector and if we're not doing that it's it's not great it's not great it's actually quite silly (laughs) yeah yeah you're kind of dropping the ball if you're not doing that and that like it's it's funny you mentioned that because um you know, I, I come from the charity sector, and granted, this was in the United States where I'm from, but definitely um, one of the first uh, charities that I worked at, I I remember telling my um, executive director, because I was one of the few, you know, non-white people there, like, mm. but our community, our community that we were serving was like 40 to 50%, you know, Hispanic yeah. black people. Yeah, and yeah. It's just like, why isn't our um, organization reflecting that? And I, I spoke up, even though I've lived there my entire life, I didn't feel like that space was for me. Mm. You know, I didn't feel like it was something that I could be a part of. And I think that's something that a lot of organizations also have to take into account of why that feeling exists for for our community. 
why, what are we doing and what do we need to change in order to, um, you know, reflect that we are serving that community and that we, we do want more people. Yeah. I think hearing what, what guys is doing, there are, they're definitely on the right path. And, and I think a lot of other people, a lot of other organizations need to be, you know, following in those steps. Yeah, I would say so. And this is talking from, I mean, I've, I've, I've experienced it. I've worked for many charities and it's, like I said, I haven't seen it. I'm, it makes me prouder to, to be part of the organization and therefore they get the, the, the best of me. And also if we're going to look at things objectively <laughs> and from an enterprising perspective, there's a, there's a theme here. If we're going to do that, diversity is a resource that will allow an organization to operate more efficiently. Um, you have a diverse range of thought. You have more creative um, ways to problem solve. It's a lot more difficult to get stuck in the ruts because you have a diverse range of thought. And a diverse range of thought doesn't just mean, oh, I'm black, someone's Hispanic, someone's white. No, it's not as, I mean, that obviously there's a correlation there, but it's not just that because ultimately what I'm referring to is culture. I'm talking about a diverse range of cultures. Um, so, yeah, we that's an area we need to get better at. But on the flip side, I think um, having honest conversations, and and I said this, ironically enough, at the way they act, guys, is I think being on the flip side, I think there needs to be an understanding that different people are at different stages of their, I'm just going to come out and say it, their anti-racist journey. So I think being mindful of this allows appropriate conversations to be had. Um, but once again, we can only have those conversations if we're honest and depending on what side of that, yeah, transparent and depending on what side of the fence you fall on, just being very honest about how ignorant you might be. And but that's not a blocker, that's just where you are now. But it also means being patient with those that are on their journey because yeah it's systematic and like all change management it doesn't happen overnight <laughs> so yeah the one thing that um I've been trying to encourage is to I know it's not as simple as this but it's about front weighting um salaries at the lower end of um I guess a a career so having higher salaries for assistants and officers so that you're more likely to get more diversity at the entry level mm-hmm. as opposed to, because I think the issue is, and I'm speaking from experience, is that a lot of people that aren't middle class, um, they won't, especially when you're younger, they they just won't, either can't or won't <laughs> take the drastic salary cut and what that means is that the value proposition of the sector doesn't seem so high. And because the value proposition isn't high, you don't get a diverse range of candidates. And I think one practical way to help remedy that is to front weight salaries at assistant levels. Assistant officer, I'm, obviously, I know we, we work on limited budgets. I'm not saying increase salaries across the board. That's not realistic. But what I am saying is in, by increasing salaries at the lower end, it, it it may be something that can help bring in more diversity at the entry levels, which will then obviously have re- benefits 
later on because people will stay in the sector. They'll move within the sector, but they'll stay within the, in the sector. We'll just have more diversity at the lower end. That was the only other thing that I potentially wanted to speak about as a thought I've had and discussions I've had with other uh, senior leaders in the sector. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And then, you know, starting from the, you know, the bottom, quote unquote, yeah. but, but letting it trickle throughout. Because yeah. obviously there's issues with the senior leadership, the boards already. That's that's dealing with it, but it has to be brought on from both ends. It really does yeah. in order for there to be substantial lasting change. So, Jeff, what final piece of advice would you give people for, for our listeners, everyone listening in? Final piece of advice. Final piece of advice is use fundraising everywhere. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I, no I, I'll I, take that. Thank you. I, I, I'm, 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 not, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Because, um, like I said at the start, I think we're living in the age of personal branding. So um, I think if you want to progress, you, I think it's about spreading risk, right? And I think... Tying yourself to just one organization is not spreading risk. I think, once again, if you invest in your brand, that means you can add value to whatever organization you choose to be in. And I think organizations such as Fundraising Everywhere um, can be a real game changer in helping you find your voice in a sector that's slowly becoming saturated, if I'm honest, and finding that voice is of even more importance if, let's keep it 100, if you're not a white person in this sector. Let's just keep it very honest. Mm -hmm. So I think lean into organizations such as fundraising everywhere to just help bolster your brand is, is probably one of the, best bits of advice I could give in addition to the um the attributes I mentioned before so it should be an enterprise and being patient with yourself and communication just be proactive take control of your destiny like just create create circumstances where you can where you can flourish there are so many tools that enable you to do that in this age and fundraising everywhere is one such resource not the only one but one such resource. So um, yeah, that would be my final bit of advice. Invest in your brand, whatever that might mean for you, whatever the output is, invest in your brand and be intentional about that choice. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you for the kind words about fundraising everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm relatively new to, you know, the company I joined like uh, early last year. And, you know, I'm, I'm also a representative of fundraising everywhere, but having been in the charity sector and being able to work with fundraising everywhere now and, and provide these resources free and, you know, some paid for, but very accessible. I'm just yeah. like, ah, I wish I had this. Yeah. I wish I had this years ago, you yeah. know, feeling the frustration, um, especially I came from a small charity, feeling the frustration of the limited capacity, the limited budgets, um, you know, it really does take a toll on on your psyche, on 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 what you're trying to do. Yeah. So, absolutely, thank you for yeah, shouting yeah. us out, and oh, and thank you for highlighting the main thing is invest in you, invest in your brand, because couldn't agree more. 
yeah. couldn't agree more. So important. And I think I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. There are people out there who want to see you win. There are so many people that want to see you win. So you don't need to suffer in silence. Not implying, not implying that anyone's suffering out here, but you don't need to do it in silence. There are people mm-hmm. that want to see you win. Reach out to them. Invest in your brand. Just go. Be bold. Be bold. <laughs> yeah, be bold and 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 like you know, look around because, like you said, there are a lot of resources. There are a lot of people who want to help and and uh, you know. Good things can happen if you believe in yourself, I think, is the, is the Absolutely. main point. Absolutely. Never underestimate, underestimate the power of hard work. Never. Mm. Oh, well, this was a very enlightening chat. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time, sincerely. Oh, and it's it's like a lovely way to start off the year. I feel really motivated. I feel really, like, you know, uh, full of passion. So thank you so much, Jeff. Good. Keep the energy. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not share it with a fundraising friend? And if you would like to give us a little like or subscribe, it really helps more fundraisers like you find us. Thank you so much. See you next time.